We've reported the birth of the creature there, um, and our new mission is to like go and find a bunch of missing androids, basically, uh, like either find out what happened to them or recover their you know remains or I I'm not sure. They think they're still alive though, right? Yeah, they can the detect the signal or something. Yeah, yeah. And so that's interesting. Um, like one big question, I feel like in the back of the background of things here is like what the androids are doing elsewhere on the planet. Um, like, is there a front in this war that's you know ongoing? Um, are they doing kind of random missions, kind of like we seem to be doing, like uh, stealthily? infiltrating various ruined cities and <laughs> taking care of uh, things there, or, or, or just what they're up to, right? So this holds out the possibility that maybe we'll see something about that, I guess, um, this missing squadron of Yorha. But anyway, uh, as we're going along, it seems like we're kind of hitting a dead end, like we can't proceed above ground. And so we drop down into the sewers. Uh, classic video game moment, right? Um, some underground traversal. Uh, but it's pretty limited, right? There's not a whole lot mm -hmm. down there. You can uh, fish. You can fish down there? Yeah, yeah. I caught a battery and I caught a tire. <laughs> uh, In both cases, my, my pod was like, what is this for? Nice. Uh, that's a good question too, actually. Like, yeah, um, we asked it about some of the things so far, but all of this stuff that you find, you just sort of are collecting. Um, is there? Can you do anything with it other than sell it? Is yeah, it, the is the it one thing keeping? that's that's kind of significant, like it's very limited, but there is a crafting system. Um, like mm -hmm. the the blacksmith guy. Um, I finally turned in five beast hides, and he upgraded my my weapon, so it does like a lot more damage now. Um, but but like I said, it's very limited. It's not something you can do on your own. Um, so on the one hand, you're like collecting all the random crud to improve your weapons and improve stuff like that, and on the other hand, all those chips that you recover, you can fuse any two that have the same power level and make one of the next power level. Um, ah. Plus, and this is where it gets really sneaky, um, the, the clever player will prioritize chips with a lower cost um, because it gives you the mean of the difference. Like if you have a chip, like two identical chips and one of them does, one of them takes up like five slots and the other one takes up like ten slots, if you combine the two you'll end up with a chip of the next level that only costs like seven slots uh, uh -huh. so again sneaky players will look for the look for ways to cut down on how much expenditure of your memory it takes got it got it so that's interesting so like by finding more junk you can sort of refine it into fewer and more efficient 
useful things. Yes. Uh, like the gist there. Yeah. Plus, you know, you get more and more and more of it, and it's like, okay, I have two level one chips, one level two chip, one level three chip. Well, you've just got a level four chip waiting to happen. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it kind of reminds me of Wally -E a little bit, like maybe something about the pod or just the the whole like finding stuff out there in in the ruined world, um, old technology, and wondering what it's for. Um, but uh, so. Down in the sewers, I think you can find some uh, new weapons too, can't you? Uh, spear? That's something yeah. you ran across in there? Yeah. Yeah, so there's like a path right after. So you, you go along and then you see the ladder and it leads up to our next destination. But, you know, if you look at the map, there's kind of a path right by it. And if you go through some rubble, there's another ladder and you can go up. And you get, I think it's called the Virtuous Dignity, um, right. which is a, it's a spear that seems to complement the, the weapons that you already came pre-equipped with, uh, which I think are called the Virtuous Treaty and the Virtuous Contract. Yeah, um, something like that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so it seems like there's another set. So I'm assuming that there's another Virtuous something out there, uh, but we haven't found it yet. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, plus, the blacksmith yeah. guy will actually sell you new weapons. Um, like, there's a, some kind of, like, beast sword or something, which is huge and looks way different from anything that you've equipped at this point. I'm pretty sure it's very slow and heavy. Okay. Yeah. How, how much have you gone into the weapon system? It's like you have this, this sort of quick attack and the strong attack, it seems like. Um, True, but yes. the, the sort of trick is you can assign whatever weapon to whichever slot. Um, um, so there is a surprising amount of flexibility there, and as you sort of pick up you know, a spear or a giant overweight sword, um, you can sort of decide how exactly that's going to suit your, your playstyle. Like, um, you know, if you want to keep one of the, the smaller swords as your quick weapon, great, and then take, like, something really heavy as your, your slow, heavy weapon, then you can alternate between, you know, these sort of, like, quick attacks followed up with a heavy-duty finisher. Um, or alternatively, you equip, like, two heavy weapons, and, you know, now you're alternating between the two. Um, That's awesome. Uh yeah, so I think, I mean, it seems like speed is really quite useful uh, because you can dodge so easily, right? Um, I guess it's just a matter of how much time you want to spend hacking away at enemies, perhaps. Um, and, yeah, finding that balance between, like, attack and, uh, well, tediousness, I guess. Uh, yeah, well, I want to go back to the weapons real quick, because you can have two different sets, and so you can also switch those very quickly on the fly. Um, so if you were really good and had really good reflexes, you could really kind of switch between two different sets. Um, but I'm not nearly good enough to do that, um, yeah. unfortunately. But there's a lot of customization that you could do if you're a, a highly skilled player yeah that's one of the things that i kind of admire about the combat system here like you can definitely button mash your way through it although it is not very rewarding and the game will punish you for it at later levels um mm -hmm. but 
given the fact that it is really simple on the outside, like two weapons, two buttons, you know, add in a jump and a run, and that's really all you've got. But then within that system, there is a surprising amount of custom customization and flexibility. You know, there's a lot of ways to manipulate that. Um, you know, that, that's that's platinum games for you. Like just a couple of button commands and a couple of pretty standard weapons, and then turning it into a, a really elaborate system. Um, like, I think right now I've got some fancy chip equipped that gives me, like, a, a, like a blast whenever I slash, so, like, all of my weapons mm -hmm. are now ranged, basically. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, a swarm of guys will come at me, and I will just cut through them in no time flat, because everything I'm doing is hitting everyone in the room. Um, yeah. So, you it's, know... And it's well, it's made to look really cool, it seems like, also, is a consideration, right? The aesthetic side of it. Um, and it seems like no matter what you use, it's going to look pretty cool. It's just a matter of, like, how, how effective, how efficient do you want to be about right. things? Even if you're just button mashing, it still looks uh, like really, <laughs> like a really cool scene. So like Impressive, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, going through the sewers... Um, I don't know. Is this a way to like conceal something else? Is this a way to conceal a load time? Like, wh why do you suppose they introduced this little underground jaunt here? Yeah, I suspect it's not a load time in this case because once you go through the amusement park and Pascal's village, you push a block out of the way and you're back. Like, you're back in the city mm -hmm. in a continuous area. Well, yeah, just so. like the desert. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it seems um, it seems like it is one continuous area, and you know, in the future when you're running along from place to place, you'll forget the sewer entirely unless you're specifically going down there for something. Um, so if it was a load screen, like that, that would be kind of weird. Um, it's possible, like especially if it's a first time load thing. Um, but I suspect what's what really strikes me, what what really seems more effective is it disguises the transition in the landscape, um, mm. like the fact that you're going from this you know urban environment with the stream running down through the buildings to very much a wooded environment, like it disorients you um, quite intentionally, I suspect. Like, it gives you an illusion of more distance than there actually is on the game map. Um, right. So, you know, when you, in fact, pop up, like, and you're in the middle of this forest with a couple of industrial buildings around on the, the outskirts of this amusement park, you kind of get the sense that you've traveled farther than you have. And I think that's that's a pretty effective technique there. Like, the world itself is not that big as open worlds go um, in this game, but Yokotaro manages to like squeeze every bit of distance out of it by by using this sort of misdirection. I think. Got it. Yeah. No, that makes sense, and it does feel like a different environment, uh, kind of mystical. I don't know. Um, it's it's interesting to compare it to the other places we've been so far, right? Uh, so it's it's the amusement park. Uh, there's like fireworks going off. Uh, there's really um, festive little little robot uh, dancers that we, we see featured there. Um, 
And yeah, there's this sense that we're almost on a kind of a vacation from our our worries, you know? Um, at least that's what the game seems to be like inviting um, to let your guard down because nothing nothing's attacking you, right? It's everyone is sort of um, in their own little world, uh, concerned with having fun and uh, dancing around. And yet, uh, there is something inescapably creepy about an old abandoned amusement park. Taken over by robots. Yeah, yeah, and to the point that there's like a robot, you know, statue in the middle of the little fountain too. Uh, so, so yeah, they're not only. Uh, and this is where that that line comes in, right, Steve? About they're imitating uh, androids, right? They're yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Nine S's delivery of that. Um, they're not only yeah. wearing clothes, talking, but now they seem to be um, playing and celebrating, uh, doing rituals almost, and doing art, perhaps. Uh, that's cool. Uh, I also yeah, so what, was struck by yeah. the fact that, like, when when you make it to the gate for the the big you know facility where where you end up fighting the boss, um, outside of the gate you find the little family who's hanging out there, like the the father robot, the mother robot, the little kid robot, um, <laughs> and I, I think it's a it's an interesting and sort of natural advancement on what we saw in the desert. Um, like in the desert, you see these very sort of primitive kind of tribal family structures with, you know, the robot sort of aping or pantomiming having a baby or, or having sex. And now, now we see a more sophisticated kind of family. Like, not only are, is a, a, you know, a family unit, mother, father, child, but also with this priority on making space, making time for the child's development. Like, we're taking them to an amusement park. We're giving them right. a chance to play. We're all having fun. Like, this is what families do. Um, so, at, at the same time as you have all of these, the machines who are kind of just, you know, having a good time, dancing around, throwing a party, you also get the sense that they're throwing a party for a purpose. You know, this is... An amusement park is an unusual phenomenon insofar as it's not just, you know, it's not hedonism. It's sacrifice for the sake of somebody else's hedonism. You know, somebody's uh, yeah. got to put on the, the, the mascot hat, the, the, the costume, in order to entertain someone else. Um, and it's kind of unclear where the lines are. Like, some of, some of the robots do seem to just, you know, be having a good time. Um, but overall the effect very much comes off as they're entertaining anyone who comes including you yeah that's an interesting take on it's it's like this kind of mandatory fun then on the from the perspective of the kid right there um they had better really enjoy themselves once they're there right because right. this is all for them yep. <laughs> we came all this way <laughs> You know, yeah, we're spending all this money. Imposition, you know, going to a fair, going to a carnival, going to amusement parks. Like, I always sort of felt that a bit. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's there's a, uh, there's a definitely some history here, too. Because um, if you know the Spirited Away uh, Studio Ghibli movie, right? Um, it's, it's set in this kind of abandoned amusement park where the spirits have their bathhouse now. And um, and apparently there's like this 
throwaway line, but I think it's it's true that there was a period in recent Japanese history where they had a bunch of like amusement parks built, and then they all sort of went bust um, when the economy slumped. And um, I think it's the dad who like says that as he's like tearing into a, a chicken wing or something. But um, I, I think that there's probably some kind of commentary there too about you know this uh, boom and bust uh, rampant. Uh, you know, fun at all costs kind of thing um, that uh, that has left its, you know, left all this, this kind of waste in its wake. Um, well, I mean, and... that's kind of the, what makes the amusement park in Nero Automata so creepy is that, you know, it is a boom and bust situation. This used to belong to the humans. Like, 9S even has to explain to 2B, like, what a roller coaster is for. <laughs> yeah. Um and it obviously isn't operated by humans anymore. The war came, the, the invasion of the aliens and the creation of the machines and the end of the world. And, you know, the humans all left. And then this amusement park is just this relic of this past time. And yet here it is adopted again. Like the machines you wouldn't think would know how to use it. And yet not only have they adopted this place, but they've adopted it for its intended purpose, just mm-hmm. not for the people it was intended for. Yeah. So there, there's probably some other Easter eggs in here, right? But, um, so there's a little family. I don't even, I don't remember that, but, um, there's that fountain. There's, uh, a shopkeeper and, and near the shopkeeper in like a corner, I think, is there, um, like a little white flower that's like glowing, uh, it doesn't seem like you can interact with it at all. But that, Not at this point. But it's are, conspicuous anyway. Yes. There are a couple more of them. Um, like, right at uh, when you come out of uh, Pascal's village, there's a strange dilapidated building um, that has no function at this point, but will in the future. And there's another one of those glowing white flowers there. Um, so they are scattered throughout the landscape. I think they connect to a side quest, but I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, it, well, it, yeah, they do. It's okay. a, it's a side quest. So keep so keep those in the back of your mind. <laughs> we will make sure where they're located. Yep. Yeah, they they have a very uh, very uh, Breath of the Wild look to them. Um, either you know the, the little ones that pop up when you're uh, chasing around the little leaf guys, right. um, or like the the Twilight. Uh, what are they called? The, the Silent Princess. That's it. Yeah, the the Silent Princess flowers. So there is. Yeah, there's something about like, you know, nature. Again, this sort of theme of like nature's ability to um, uh, come through all of the uh, the ambitions of, of humankind, or something like that, right? It, it it shines through even in the dark little corners of the uh, decrepit amusement park. Um, yeah, and then there's like that little arena <laughs> where the tank comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, before we get there, did, did uh, we come across the machine that was on a break yet? Yeah, I love him. He has <laughs> so much. Yeah, he's just hiding yeah, behind a couple of boxes. He's like, I'm on a break right now. Like, he's he's dressed up in all the face paint. He's got the jester's cap on, you know, just like all the dancing dancing machines. But he's like, I'm on a break. I'm not participating right now. 
Um, yeah, you Man. have to imagine him with a cigarette. Like I know he's not carrying one, but I have to imagine he's on a smoke break. <laughs> um, yeah, but that, that's I think adds to that idea that you know this is a fun place and the machines are having a fun time, but it is also put on like it is a show. Um, and you know, as here are all these machines having fun, and yet here is a machine who is having a break from the fun. Like this is also a part of part of the process. Um, and even the fact that we're just talking to them at this point, like you can initiate a conversation with the machines. This is new. Um, like yeah. I'm pretty sure that's not something you could do in the desert aside from when they would like chatter at you in the middle of a fight. Now, not only are you talking to them, but like you're engaging with them, you engage with the shopkeeper, you can, you know, have conversations. They, they address you. Um, mm -hmm. it's rather new. Um, but on the flip side, you can just go in guns blazing and take them all out. Um, mm -hmm. Like, it's foolhardy to do so. They're very powerful in such large numbers. But, like, if you want to make the attack, that is your prerogative. It, it seems like they haven't heard about what happened at the desert, as far as I can tell. They're, um, yeah, I, I have to imagine. So, like the theory that maybe they all have a hive mind or something like that seems a little bit uh, tarnished by by the way that they're just kind of carrying on here. Um, I think aren't there a couple that attack you though? At least uh, one or two, or is that only if you hit them first? Yeah, you. I made it through the entire area this time around without getting into a single fight until the boss fight. Huh. Um, yeah, I I I think on my playthrough I accidentally like hit. You know, one of my attack buttons, and I accidentally hit one of them, and then uh, uh, that's okay. that's why we attacked them. But yep. I mean, but I think the tank uh, that we were just kind of about to to touch on is a good um, example of that. Yeah, because Nine specifically in, says that you should attack the tank. You don't want to leave all these powerful enemies behind you, all these well armed machines. Um, mm -hmm. And the first time I played through, I did fight the tank. Like, I took 9S's advice. I, I didn't want all these really powerful machines around. You know, I trust 9S. He's my friend. This time I ignored <laughs> him. And I just went to the, yeah. to the roller coaster. And he was like, are, are we sure we're just going to leave them? And to be mutter something about, you know, if they're not hostile, it would be a waste of time. Yeah, it's almost like she's a bit defensive there, right? Like. Yeah. It, She's apologizing for your choice as the player to leave them alive. And Steve spent a little while trying to like ride the tank around and see if he could like jump over to things by by using its height. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I was unsuccessful. But wasn't there also even a robot who kind of, like right before you go there, he's warning you that like the machine is broken and it's dangerous. Yeah. Yes. So that's it's kind of weird that he's giving you a warning about like another machine yeah and when you i think it's referring to to the boss um yeah could be yeah because so. you know uh, when you beat it you also get the the envoy from pascal who also refers to it as a broken machine you have defeated the broken machine and therefore saved us um mm -hmm. so it seems that you know this broken machine the boss is is presenting a threat to more than just the androids uh, like, that's very much its own thing. But, you know, even the machines are worried about it and are glad that you're taking it out. Well, yeah, it's scary, uh, the boss. It's it's hanging out there in the 
like auditorium um, behind the curtain. So you, you drop down like through the skylight or whatever, uh, and it makes its appearance. It's it's all very dramatic, uh, and I guess there's a few stages to the fight, right? But um, as you go along, it starts talking about beauty quite a bit. Uh, so whereas other ones have sort of focused on emotions like fear, um, and then the ones in the amusement park are all about play, dancing, singing. Um, this one's all about beauty. And I feel like it's a bit different. Um, as emotions go, it seems more complicated, maybe. Um, I wonder if that's what they mean by it being broken. I, I don't know quite how to take their... Yeah. Um, it's, it's fragmentary at best at this point, but there is a rather revealing moment where when you finally beat it, like it's still hacked into your brain and you get this one like blinking and miss it image of two machines, one down on its knees before the other, and the other yeah. one is the boss that you just defeated. So, like, you, I, I think you're right. It is a complex emotion, but it's a complex emotion related, I suspect, to love. Um, yeah. In which case, if we're sitting here talking about this machine being broken and presenting a threat to the machines, the prospect that that brokenness is somehow connected to attachment or to love seems yeah. a bit striking, um, especially because yeah. that punk who was down on his knees definitely had Jean Paul's top hat. So you know, existentialism is infesting them. Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> I didn't notice that. I did notice that there was a uh, yeah a, a brief. I don't know what to call that. Like a little um, uh, yeah, just like a, a flash of, of what seems to be a memory. Um, is that because she's been hacking into you that you see that? It, do you suppose that's the yeah. implication? Like, okay. usually when, I mean, this is the first time that we actually get to do a hacking mini game. Um, yeah. So you know, already we're we're in new territory there. But you'll notice that any time that we are hacking, you get like whatever screen you're looking at is replaced with a blank white screen with whatever we're dealing with. Um, so usually when you get those blank white screen moments, you're looking at the subconscious or whatever level the hacking is occurring on. So I mm. suspect that the two are related. Um, that's, it's not obviously clear, um, but that's, I, I think it's heavily implied and I think that's the right direction to sort of read it in. That we're getting a glimpse of her because of this sort of connection that's been built between you due to the, due to the hacking. Interesting. Yeah, and so you're like a little a little ship that shoots bullets. It's almost like an old arcade game or something. Um, but, uh, well, it's, it's stylized, though. It's still sort of 3D. Um, I could imagine these getting quite complicated later on. Uh, but for now, it's really simple, right? You just yep. have to kind of button mash real quick. Um, shoot the blocks, shoot the, the sphere, call it a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It... Uh, Huh. Okay. So the 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 monster. I don't know what to call her. The the singer, right? Um, the, the songstress. To, uh, the songstress. Good. Yeah. She starts to uh, summon 
after a certain point, she starts summoning a bunch of um, android bodies uh, out of the ceiling, kind of like you drop down, I guess. But uh, these ones are all like um, stuck on. I don't know, crosses, basically, like yeah. uh, girders and things. Um, it's hard not to think of, of crucifixion the way that they're sort of laid out there. Yeah. and But they're still alive, right? So yes. they're not like the ones in the desert in that way. They're, um, they're all, I guess they've all been hacked, right? Yeah. She's controlling them. Um, and they form a kind of like minefield for you to have to run around, uh, try to take them all out. Um. The entire battle is it's really uh sort of built on a, a circle it seems like um with the songstress in the center yeah. and you're like dodging stuff and running around her um but i think the camera starts to get a little bit wonky at times too and yeah. so the battle shifts a couple times in perspective. Yeah. Like in the first phase, she's on the ground and she does her like spinning blade attack where she's like charging at you. Um, and you have basically the entire, you know, stage to work with, like yeah. in front of all the seats. Um, so you, you know, run around and you fight her and she does her attacks and you do yours. And then right around the time that she's about a third of the way down, she like flies up onto the stage proper and it becomes more of a 2D fight. Like you can yeah. still run around in a 3D space, but she's fixed attacking you from the stage. Um, and then she'll come back down and, you know, it changes again. Um, and even within these, there's a couple of times where she'll do like a big time bullet hell attack and the camera will switch to a top-down perspective yeah. for you to sort of focus on dodging, which is actually kind of frustrating because you can't see where the attacks are coming from. You can't like attack the android bodies or, you know, mm -hmm. score hits on the enemy. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, it shifts several times. Um, and is kind of disorienting for that reason. And it, it frequently coincides with the, the hacking that's going on. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you could very well see this as her hacking your camera. <laughs> um, as well as it, it is. Effect yeah. the body, yeah. Exactly, exactly. The the visual echo is, is pretty close. Um, between the top-down view, trying to dodge all the attacks she's doing in the real world, and then the the view that you get of the hacking parts. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. It seemed like a hard fight uh, from where I was sitting. Um, I guess not that any of them have been easy, but <laughs> uh, it just it threw a bunch of curveballs in that way. Uh, I hadn't yeah, really seen I, before. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I was not a huge fan of like the changing camera. Like that, I think that just was artificial difficulty mm -hmm. uh i like your mm -hmm. theory that you guys are doing or that you kind of oh yeah it's it's similar to the hacking thing but yeah I, it was harder than it needed than it should have been yeah. but only because <laughs> of the bad camera yeah yeah that's fair I, I don't know i mean i i kind of like the idea that she's um she's toying with you to an extent right uh you're you know you've been lured there in some way you're you're necessary for her because of yeah her need to be 
admired or loved or something, right? Um, and and that seems to be what she's got, like literally a captive audience of androids that, uh, you know, are, are in awe of her. Uh, but, but she is deranged, right? Um, she's dangerous. Uh, so I, I also, I guess I, I do and I don't feel sympathy for her, um, kind of like with with the previous bo boss, I guess. But um, especially as as the as the fight goes on, she starts to do some pretty weird attacks uh, that involve her uh, metallic dress, like being <laughs> like that armor coming up, yeah. and then a face, a monster popping out from underneath. Uh, coming after you yeah and her legs like oh this the scary little spider legs she's got I, I don't like i don't like it it made me uncomfortable <laughs> so that's that seems appropriate yeah <laughs> um it does actually open her up to attack though like uh yeah. her her dress like the the armor over her legs um is invulnerable to damage so you know you've got to target her her head her upper body which is, you know, easy enough with your probe guy, but if you want a sustained, like, melee attack against her, you've got to jump in the air and keep keep the keep the combination going, or else, you know, she'll kick you right out. But when once she once she lifts her legs up, then all of a sudden, any everything is vulnerable, and you can actually attack her much yeah. more consistently and much more effectively. As horrifying <laughs> as the implications of this particular transformation may be, it's risky. And Steve, did you think this was a reference to Alien? The the you call it Xenomorph? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, I I immediately thought of the Xenomorphs from um, the Alien franchise. Just, just I I don't know the shape of it, the mouth of it, just its kind of movements. It was like a metallic Xenomorph. Um, I can see I can see like the thing from John Carpenter's The Thing as well. Like you know, being yeah. able to transform one's body into whatever one needs at the per for those purposes. I, I, I don't know, but I would say it's conspicuous too that there's there's not this is not the only time there's like a little head that pops out from underneath of a robot. Um, this seems to be a thing. Uh, like when you get to the little village of the pacifist robots, that big that big one with the big arms that's hanging out kind of on his own down at the, the bottom. Um, has got a little, a little head that pokes out from underneath him. Uh, so I don't know. Like, it also strikes me that your character, the the, the person you're playing as, is wearing a really like revealing dress, right? Like at all times, you're sort of seeing up her skirt, whether you want to or not. Uh, that's just the way that she's designed. Um, so I, I suspect there's some kind of, um, you know, irony that, that's coming through here. Uh, but I don't know. It, well, it was two, two, scary. Two things about 2B. Uh, yeah. One, if you self-destruct um, and you don't do it on the, in the bunker where you die and get a game over, uh, she, like, loses her skirt. So she's basically just in her underwear running around. Huh. Um, yeah, and then also, if you take the the pod or you know the camera, and you try to look up her skirt for like long enough, she'll like 
chew the pot away and like ma make you move the camera. Nice. Uh, uh, which, is a, which is a nice little Easter egg. So yeah, it's a nice touch. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. So there, there's definitely something going on there. Like, yeah, that there's a vulnerability about this boss, but in that vulnerability is also like a, a fearsome uh, danger lurking there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know quite what to do with that. Um, yeah, it's I, also in the robot village that we learned they have genders, right? Yes. That's, we're not just reading this into it, but that they seem to embrace a gender identity. So, yeah, sorry. And they can even like fall in love with one another, as, as we see yeah. with Jean-Paul and his fans, admirers, <laughs> whatever they choose to Crumpy. call themselves. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was How do you feel about old John Paul? What, yeah, <laughs> I I've just spent a whole lot of time reading Sark for that one uh, podcast I did, and like reading so much being in nothingness, um, and I find it I find him like in the game being kind of strikingly cheap. Like he's just yeah. uttering these you know, ham-fisted platitudes of existentialism without really seeming to understand what the implications are. Um, and, and, you know, he's even, like, he, even the other characters, like, he's got that one little round floaty robot next to him, and he's like, nobody knows what he's talking about, but some people really are into this stuff. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of get the sense that, like, he doesn't understand. You know, as much as we've been sort of trying to figure out exactly how much the machines in fact do think through these things. Do they feel love? Do they feel fun? Do they feel fear? Um, or, or, or are they just, you know, simulating it? By contrast, you know, we, we've got like John Paul quoting John Paul Sartre's favorite or greatest hits. Um, without seeming to have any understanding of the connective tissue that underlies the philosophy. Um, so, you know, like, in that sense, I think he is meant to be comical, like, uh, silly in that sense. Like, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing that it's brought up here. And, you know, the fact that he starts off with existence precedes essence um, you know, that's like the classic hallmark of Sartrean existentialism. Um, yeah. But as much as, you know, as much as it should definitely give us pause to think about that particular subject in this particular world at this particular moment, um, I don't think Jean-Paul himself is aware of the implications of what he's saying. Um, so, you know, I, I suspect it's more like the narrator talking to us than than our machine version of Sartre having true insights to share. Yeah. And if so, then it's like sort of self-mockery, right? Uh, a send-up of attempts to read into the game too much, maybe. Um, or or just, of, like you said, of cheap attempts to philosophize. Yes. At, at, at the very least, it's it's making, making some fun of that. Um, yeah. But, on the but he does have fans, and yes. that seems significant. <laughs> yep. Whatever he's doing, it's popular, at least with certain people. Um, and maybe, maybe not for 
any real deep reason. Um, but but the linking there of like philosophizing and uh, uh, what charisma or, or something like that, that made me think actually more of Abelard than Jean-Paul Sartre. Um, yeah, the, the story of like, you know, the great lover boy, Abelard, uh, yeah. Abelard, yeah. And, uh, well, things don't go well for him. No. Uh, <laughs> no, <they do> not. <laughs> in, in, the, in the love department, the carnal love department, anyway. Um, yeah, so, I don't know, so this, this is clearly like a side quest that we have before us to go and, and seek out his other um, admirers. Um, so that's one. Um, what else do we find here in the the pacifist village? Everyone just seems to say the same thing, pretty much. Yeah, there, there's a couple of like throwaway lines that just about everybody passes through. There, there are exceptions, obviously, like you know Jean Paul, his his friend who is a skeptic, and his groupies. Um, but um, you do a couple of them are really interesting. Like I really, I always like talk to everyone just in case. And quite a few of them will say something along the lines of, it's fun to wave the flag. Um, <laughs> like, they're all waving those those white flags. And there's something kind of silly and endearing about that. Like, you know, the white flag is this universal symbol for truce, for surrender, for peace. Um, and, you know, you come out of this big boss fight and there's a there's a machine waiting for you. And you're like, all right, let, let's do this. Let's fight. And 9S is like, what, what's going on here? And you see that it's carrying a white flag and it, it invites you to, to the village. And everyone there is waving these flags. Um, yeah. Like everyone, with virtually no exceptions. It's this town full of, of machines waving flags. Um, and on the one hand, you get, you know, it's fun to wave the flag. Like, they're just enjoying themselves. They've turned it into a game. On the other hand, I always get sort of struck by how terrified they must be of you. Um, mm. Like, you, the android, who has cut through swaths of machines at this point, beat up the, <laughs> the terrifying songstress... You know, in theory, you could have, you know, rampaged your way to the amusement park as well. Um, and, you know, they're expecting genocide. And, mm. you know, they go in where every single machine is waving the flag because they're that afraid. They're that concerned that, you know, you're going to attack them. Um, yeah. And maybe that's exaggeration on my part. They seem to have a good relationship with the resistance members at the very least. But it does seem like overkill. Um, it does seem, you know, unnerving. Like, what do they actually think of us to be in 9S and Yorha in general? Uh, that they're this concerned about seeming this non-threatening. Um, but obviously the other one that we have to talk about is Pascal, um, yeah. the leader of the camp. Yeah. But she's like the most... Uh, well-spoken of the robots we've met so far. She she speaks in complete sentences. Uh, um, Pascal is a he. Is Pascal a he? The voice is yeah. very feminine. Yes, it is. I, I Listen, I know, and that's why I was, it was so jarring when I realized, I was like, wait, Pascal's a man? Yeah. Uh, not that it matters, obviously, because yeah, yeah. it's robots, but I, I mean, I think that was, it had to be intentional that it was a 
feminine voice with and the oh. characters refer to Pascal as he. Um, uh, well, then, so he speaks in really complex sense and has a very distinctive voice, right? Like a very yes. uh, personalized way of, of talking. Um, yeah, equivalent to some of the... Res- and look. Yep. And look, yeah. He inflects, yeah. He, he communicates emotion when he when he makes his expression. Like, he is completely voiced, um, unlike a lot of the machines that we run into. Um, and even the machines that we do run into, they're usually, like, filtered strongly through that, like, machine thing. Whereas Pascal, yeah. it's, it's much more limited. Um, but, of course, it's also Pascal. Like, once again, we have another direct philosopher reference here. Um, yeah. What's the force of that? Was Pascal particularly peaceful? Uh, I, think, I know he's a math yeah, guy. I, I think the reference, or at least what sort of clicks in my mind, and I don't know, you know enough about Pascal's whole body of work to, to weigh in one way or the other, um, but the most famous thing that he's responsible for is the wager, Pascal's wager. Um, which, oh. which is the argument for the existence of God. Like his argument is basically, you know, if if you don't know whether or not God exists, then it is in your best interests to bet that God exists, to believe in God, because the alternative, like if you bet wrong and there is and there is no God, then all you lost was, you know, whatever you would have done differently if you weren't a Christian. Whereas mm. if you bet wrong and God does exist, like if you decide not to believe and it turns out that God is there, then you suffer eternal damnation. In which case, <laughs> you know, the odds are absolutely in your favor if you believe in God. Um, and contemporary philosophers have, have sort of adapted Pascal's wager in a variety of, of situations where you don't know um, the answer to one question, but the potential you know, wrongness that you would commit if you, you, you know, hastily disbelieved or hastily believed too quickly um, gets applied to a lot of questions. Um, like, I know Dr. Kraft, he applied it to the, the abortion question. His argument was that, you know, if you do not know whether the, the thing is a person or not a person, then it is in your best interests not to potentially commit murder, um, hmm. which, you know, then you get into the debate there. But importantly for what we're doing, the machines, we've been asking the question, are they people or are they not people? Are they intelligent or are they not intelligent? Pascal, possibly referring to Pascal's wager in this situation, suggests that it would be way better if we treated them as people because the alternative that we don't is we are in fact committing genocide. Um, And the moral culpability there is staggering interesting yeah now I, I remembered pascal's triangle but i hadn't remembered the wager but but as you're describing that it made me think that that's sort of diametrically opposed to the cheap understanding at least of of sartrean existentialism right like to to act in bad faith is is precisely what you're describing right that this way making this wager just based on a kind of um, cost-benefit analysis uh, and without any like genuine you know feeling or something like that um, yeah, it seems some, like the 
to some degree, the two are compatible. Like, Bad Faith mm -hmm. is tricksy, um, and, you know, Sartre is kind of cagey about when it's, when Bad Faith is Bad Faith and when it's not just, you know, doing what you think is best. Um, mm. But I think it is, it is good to, to sort of distance the two in this case, especially, again, because Pascal comes off as so earnest um, mm. and as such a positive character in this situation, whereas Jean-Paul is not as much. Like, the, the skepticism of the machines and of the player should be pretty warranted in this case. Um, he is sort of, honestly, like, it would probably be more appropriate to see him as Camus, like, all getting all the ladies without any, you know, actual <laughs> philosophical effort. Um, and, you know, there were always jokes about Sartre thinking that Camus was super cool anyway. <laughs> uh, Camus is super cool. Though. It's true. I mean, it's the true. The fact... Uh, so, yeah, so one of the, the groupies is right there in town. Um, the others, I'm sure we'll run across, but one, I think one is supposed to be back in the amusement park somewhere. I think they so. They refer to her. Um, now, as we're on our way, there are a couple of little things. Like we see we see rockets going up to the base, yes. the bunker, uh, and sort of we pause and ask about that. And 9S is like, oh, yeah, you probably wouldn't know about that. Um, they're sending supplies, right? Um, and the next little mission we have to do is basically like a little mini supply run. Um, not to the bunker, but just like around uh, the village and the city, back and right. forth a few bring times. Bring back the fuel pump to the resistance <laughs> yeah. camp yeah. And, then, and then bring back raw materials to the village. Now, there's also one of these rooms that... You can't do anything in yet. If you go down like a secret uh, elevator under the amusement park, and yes. what's down there, it looks awfully like the bunker in some ways. Um, only it's like old technology, like um, you know, TVs stacked up in a cone shape almost. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I just wanted to point out that that was a thing that we ran across, uh, yep. and I assume will matter at some point, but maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't matter yet, anyway. Um, so, so yeah, I think that is, you know, it's a it's an interesting uh, counterweight to some of the serious. Um, battles and and things that have been happening so far that there's this place that's fun and then there's this place that's peaceful like totally non-violent um yeah i mean so, you start off all the machines are hostile towards you then you go to the abusement park and they're just kind of neutral like they're not gonna attack you but if if you attack them they'll like respond in kind and then when you go to the pacificity, if you start hitting some of those robots, they don't fight you back. They just start like begging to like stop yeah. hurting. Like we we don't want to fight. So yeah, I mean you've caught you, you've gone from all of them are hostile to they're not going to harm you. So um, and the fact that, yeah, that that Pascal you know emphasizes that they have a positive relationship with the resistance, and you talk to the resistance leader, and they're like, yeah, Pascal and I are good friends, and you're just like, wait, what? You don't think this was relevant information at some point? <laughs> like, why didn't you tell us that you had a working relationship with the enemy, question mark? Um, 
because yeah. you know it, it is increasingly becoming more gray than black and white um, as, as we're finding out what these machines are actually doing. Yeah, uh, that's. I mean, that's kind of a question, I guess. Um, that I think it's to be who asks this when she sees the rockets going up. She kind of again is like, so why don't the aliens and robots attack the bunker? If they came from outer space, they must have the technology, right? Like, so there's just a certain amount of wiggle room here. Uh, I wouldn't call it a plot hole just yet, because I guess we don't have the full picture, but um, the characters within the plot are noticing that there's some, some gaps. <laughs> there's some question marks uh, popping up, so... Yeah, so that's... Did you catch the the couple of uh, interactions you have with the bunker during this section, like the email about the Jupiter thing? Like we, uh, we get. She says it's like she's she doesn't like it anymore because it gave her all the bad signs. Or something. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not doing Jupiter fortune telling anymore because it's it's apparently making making her feel bad. Um, <laughs> and we also get contacted by our operator who falls up in tears and, you know, to be asks what's wrong. And the answer is that she asked one of the other operators out and she said no. And she's really, really disappointed about it. And, and to be, you know, in her characteristic stern, nothing but the, the, the pragmatism voice is like, well, you know, you, you got to pull yourself together. Every, every to be, every, you know, Two unit need needs an operator. It, it's in the it's in the manual, and the operator immediately jumps to. So you're saying that you need me, and it <laughs> feels so much better as a consequence. Like because two B depends on on this operator, that makes her feel better. Which of course was not at all what two B was trying to say, but is kind of how it came across anyway. Um, you know, we, we've kind of been we've kind of been harping on whether or not the bunker is actually doing its job. This seemed yeah. to be another instance of just the sort of wild who knows what's going on up there while we're supposedly on this very serious mission that is itself also sort of falling into chaos and unpredictable and weirdly not important territory. Yeah, and and 9S has a little moment like this too. On the while you're riding the roller coaster, this like little little bit of intimacy that he shares, like, oh, like friends call me nines. So do you wanna and it's real awkward the way that to be responsible, she like can't even muster a complete thought. She just sort of says um a few times until she uh, backs off. Yeah. And I, I, suspect, I, I suspect part of that is because they did have that intimacy in the opening mission. Um, yeah. Like, if I recall, he asks her to call him nines then, and she just absolutely will not. Like, no, just no. But the fact that we've now reached the point where that intimacy has been rebuilt, you know, first she, she was resisting 9S's intimacy, then she was reaching to 9S for intimacy, and he shot it down because he didn't remember anything that had happened. 
Now yeah. they're getting to the same place, and 2B feels uncomfortable about it because she's had to resist the, the emotion uh, so long at this point. So, you know, the relationship keeps seesawing on that level. Like, every time somebody gives, somebody else is not ready to give for reasons sometimes completely outside of their control. But um, it's interesting to see that that is being rebuilt and how 2B is not comfortable with it. That this is way easier to deal with. This whole crazy war with the machines, whatever their whatever's going on in their circuitry, is far easier to manage if you don't have to think about it. Yeah. Which is exactly what they say about the machines though, right? Is that they're incapable yeah. of feeling. They're incapable of, of true thought and, and uh Yeah. And uh that's note noteworthy, I guess, that that double standard. Um it makes me really wish that this game uh, allowed a like a co-op mode. You know, like since there's two of you at all times, like wouldn't it make sense to have a, a, a two-player um, setup where you know one of you's two B and one's nine S? It would make sense, but I suspect it would detract from the storytelling at the end of the day, um, especially because you know it is so important when one or the other is disabled or when one or the other is sort of cooperating. Um, but as we'll see, like, eventually we are going to turn the tables and play as 9S, and, you know, ah. yeah. But that That's is a little ways ahead of us. Mild spoilers ahead. A little, a, a little. <laughs> I, I don't think we're going to be playing as 9S until what, like, June? Yeah, May, June, somewhere. It, 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 it's it's going to be a while. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll get there. Uh, yeah, slow and steady. Yep. All right, y'all. Any other little topics here? Do we have a weird uh, ending this week? Oh, yeah. Uh, did I? Yeah, you know. <sighs> I don't think I took a screenshot of it. You mentioned skirt removal. I mean that. Yeah, that's that's pretty close. I'll. But you know. Right, hold on. Did I did I tell you guys about the uh, removing the uh, the operating chip or uh, operating system? Oh, no. I can't find it. I, Good grief. Uh, yeah, I know that it warns you every time that you're getting ready to like take out the operating system chip, it freaks out and you know it's like no, then you'll stop functioning if you do that. Is there in fact an ending screen for that? I'll leave uh, immediately. Um, unfortunately, I did not take a screenshot of that, so uh, maybe just try it on your own file. You know, next time you boot it up, <laughs> just yep, I'm gonna just take out the OS chip first action. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh... There, there, there's so many like little Easter eggs like that in the game. I, I it's fun to kind of like discover them. Like I, I have been encouraged to like just try stuff. Um, mm -hmm. There, there are a couple of deaths that I have, but we have not played them in this playthrough yet. So I do have more in the future. I just didn't okay. have one this week. Yeah, that's fine. I actually died for the first time this week. Um, not during the boss fight. I got bored by a boar. Um, oh man! Yeah, they they hit just hard enough that like I was just above the 
the, the healing point and they took me all the way down and I was very dead. And I had to type in my little message for anyone who, who you know, was out there retrieving my body. Um, I was trying to get those beast hides so I could upgrade my sword and one of those boards just wasn't having it. So it was very, very embarrassing. Well, no, it's, well, it's they're, they're tough. Like they are. They're uh, aside from the songs or you know whatever the bosses. Like yeah. they're harder than any other machine that you fight so far. Like I've, I've fought a couple yeah. of those big guys with the big arms that West mentioned. Yeah, um, they, they yeah they, those guys are tough, them, and they are tough, but they're not nearly as tough as the boars because you can evade them so much easier. The boars are right. really hard to time with the dodges because you know you, you're not quite sure if they're backing up or charging or, and then you know once they are charging, you gotta like jump out of the way and then jump out of the way again because they'll come at you second time immediately. Like they were rough, but yeah, I got gored by a boar this week. So, oh well. Well, early in the game, your movement is so slow. Uh, it's it's painful. Uh, to go back and like try to play that again, like after yep. you get the Sprinting the speed up chips and stuff the, like yeah. that, like dashing around the, the map at crazy speed, or for that matter, riding your mount. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's all a little bit of that. Um. So, but yeah, uh, I think next week. I think I'm, I'm looking forward to it. it it's uh, you know, we've had a lot of of the plot being set up, but I think tomorrow or next week yeah that'll be our uh, a lot will be revealed yep. yeah indeed indeed well until then uh take care uh i keep warm it's like freezing here i don't know about i think you guys too are like under snow right oh Kyle's. gosh we just got dumped on again and again this past <laughs> week like yeah we got three feet last week and then this week it's just every other day we're getting more snow it's it's not fair yeah and, no, and none of it's melting no no like we're getting a little it bit just of keeps on piling up day, but it, it just yeah but then it freezes at night so then yeah. everything's just ice again oh yeah our, our porch looks like a, a death trap of some kind like if you walk outside you, if you breathe too loudly you'll get impaled by like four different icicles um, our screen door froze. I don't even know about that. Like, apparently it just froze in this sh solid sheet of ice. Because <laughs> all the water collected in, the, in the, the metal screen bits, and now it's just this giant sheet of ice. And it's gorgeous and amazing, and it's probably going to be gone as soon as it warms up a little bit. But yeah, So are you just, like, climbing in and out of the window? What do you do? Well, fortunately, we don't have to use it, and it wouldn't help us because at this point our porch is mounted three feet high with snow anyway so opening oh it's the, to the back porch yeah opening the screen door would not have been wise anyway but um but yeah it's just our back porch we we can still go out, up and out through the parking lot via our, our usual front door or back door or whatever it is it's very confusing <laughs> uh yeah well sorry that you are uh intending with all that yeah at least here it's just cold. We don't have snow yet. Yet. Mm. Might get some tonight. That's exciting. All right. Well, I'm going to turn in. I'll see you guys soon. Oh, by the way, yeah. Awesome article post thing. Um, oh, Steve, right. you should read that. Read that and assemble some notes so that you're ready for when Ben comes at Isomnium. Because he, 
he lays out a pretty strong case against some of the stuff visual novels like to do. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll take a look at it. Yeah. There you go. If I can there find any time in between work and uh, playing near Automata. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, yeah, it's been fun. I'll, I'll talk to you guys next week. Very good. All right. Take it easy.